assurance, confidence, utter belief, God keeps His promises. God does what He says He's going to do. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is totally totally and completely dependable and trustworthy. A, A good word is immutable. It just means He doesn't change. God is as He reveals Himself. And God is as He always is. He's a God of justice and a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, and a God of peace. Good morning. I'm glad to see you this morning. We are continuing our study in a series that we're calling A Compelling Congregation. And we looked last week briefly about two ways that word can be used. It can be used to uh, describe attractiveness, an attractive congregation. We are not an attractional in that we simply want to draw people for the sake of drawing people. What we want to do is to lift up our attractive Savior. Does that make sense? The Lord Jesus Christ always drew a crowd. The Lord Jesus Christ is wonderful and lovely. The goodness of God shows forth. Now, granted, there is a difficult side to that. There's the truth that God is the creator and he holds all men to account and all have sinned. So there is bad news that exists everywhere. We're here to make sure the world knows that and to make sure they also see the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Sunday school this morning, our word was grace. What is grace? What does it mean to be forgiven and, and washed? More than mercy. Mercy is wiping the slate clean. Grace is filling you up with goodness. And we have grace according to His riches. And folks, good news, His riches never run out. It's good news. So a compelling congregation is very, first of all, a congregation that shows forth the glory of God. And we show it forth in our transformed lives. It's believers who have come together in repentance and faith and acknowledge that there was a time when I was an enemy of God, separated from God, ungodly, But then God made me aware of my need and the consequences of my sin. And then he made me aware of his provision, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and lived sinlessly, lived perfectly, fulfilled every aspect of the law, and then went to the cross where the wrath of God against all sin was poured out on him. And there he died paying the penalty for sin. And when we believe him and we put our faith in him and our trust in him when we give our lives to him when we deny ourselves and completely kneel to him in abject surrender with a broken and contrite heart god responds with mercy and he responds with grace he could just wipe the slate clean but he does more than that he comes to indwell us and fill us with his presence his power and his riches i love what paul prays for the church at ephesus He says, some of you guys, it just seems like you're just struggling along. You're just doing the best you can, one step at a time. Life as you know it. He says, you need to remember something. You need to remember that the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. The same power that permeated Him, the same power that gave Him life, is the the power that God is working in you. So we serve a great God. A God who is compelling, a God who is attractive, a God who is, who is glorious. And we glorify Him by being filled with Him, by knowing Him. And then today we're talking about a compelling congregation serves one another. By the way, the other aspect of compel is to, is to bring, almost forcibly, to bring, to bring. We talked about the parable of the, of the rich man who threw a banquet and those he invited did not come. And so he tells his servants, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come and he bring, to bring people 
to the banquet, to the banquet feast. And we are to always be bringing people, compelling people into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're turning our focus a little bit and we're talking about what a compelling congregation does, what a godly congregation does, what a congregation is supposed to do. And we're going to start with kind of its significance and its importance. But I want us to look at the book of 1 Timothy. We're taking this series from sections of the book at 1 Timothy. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We will start in verse 11. And this is simply a letter that was written by an experienced preacher to a young preacher on the job. And he's given us in this book, this letter, more information about the structure and the organization of the church, about what an elder, a pastor, or a deacon, how a church makes decisions, how a church is led, how a church is served, what the responsibility of a church is to do. And he's just get come here in, in uh, um, 1 Timothy, when we get to chapter 4, in chapter 3 he talks about the pastors and the elders, the overseers, and then the deacons and deaconesses. And then he talks about our need to pursue godliness. And then at the beginning of this chapter, he warns that people aren't going to stick with it. Some people are going to leave. Some people are going to follow false doctrine and be ensnared and trapped, and they're going to go away. And he tells him, you need to be careful to guard your own heart and to guard your own life. But here's his instructions. And I want you to understand, this is the instructions that he's given this elder, this leader of a local congregation. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. All these things I've been teaching you in the whole first part of this letter. And then he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. Talk in such a way to be an example. In conduct, behave in such a way as to be an example. In love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, what we're doing right now, to exhortation, preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch. I'm going through verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. An important passage. And before we look deeper in this and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for this letter, this exhortation, and this truth that we're looking at. I pray that as a congregation that you will have your way with us. We can build a building. It is possible that we could attract the crowd it is extremely possible that we could work very hard at doing good things as a church being kind making sure people have food and clothes we can work really hard as a church to be the kind of people that we think people ought to be and yet somehow miss out upon the moving and the work of your holy spirit as you bring life to people who are spiritually dead as you regenerate souls as you Uh, forgive sins as you wash and cleanse lives, as you restore marriages and relationships, as you restore a right relationship with you first and foremost, as, as you move and work in such a way that people experience peace that passes understanding. People experience joy unspeakable, full of glory. People are able to rest at night and sleep, trusting in you. People are able to work and serve diligently, 
as unto the Lord. People are able to do things in such a way that it shows forth your glory as you live your life in us and through us. And so I pray, Father, that we will not miss and that we will not misunderstand the teaching that you have for us today. We love you and we're grateful. In your name I pray. Amen. Very important that we understand what Paul is doing here to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you got a job to do. <laughs> you got a task. You got a task because, first of all, God saved you. In another passage that we looked at a little bit last week, he said you had a godly grandmother and a godly mother, and I came preaching the gospel, and you say, gave your life to Christ, and then you followed me in ministry, and I trained you, and you learned from them, and you learned from me, and now you've got a task, you've got a place to serve. And he has been placed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Paul and his obedience at this church in Ephesus. And he's been given some specific things to do a compelling church a church that glorifies god a church that shows forth god is one and it says very clearly one that serves one another that sounds a little self-serving doesn't it we come together to serve ourselves we come together we make sure we've got everything that we need for ourselves i want you to understand and we're going to go back to first corinthians chapter 12 because paul gives us a beautiful picture of what a healthy body a healthy body of christ a healthy local church looks like but what he's saying here abundantly clear that we need to grasp and understand that we have a gift he says do not neglect the gift that was given to you you're in a place you have a duty you have a task you have a gift and the tendency is for you to be lazy or the tendency is for you to be self-serving That's why he tells him continually, four times in this brief letter, to watch yourself, to guard yourself, to be diligent. And there are times when it's going to be hard. I mean, really hard. Timothy went through some really tough tough times. The church at Ephesus had some real, real struggles. They had some real challenges. And Timothy went through some really challenging times. And Paul was saying, I want you to persevere. You will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a higher need for this. There's a higher calling than just any type of service. This is a service to God's body, the church. And so let's go back and look at what Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Oregon read from from earlier this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is another letter that Paul wrote. And he wrote it to the church at Corinth. And if you think Ephesus was tough, Corinth was worse. There was all kind of troubles that Paul was addressing in the church at Corinth. And in, Corinth, in this letter, 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14 all have to do with the health of the body as it assembles together for worship. And here he begins to talk about serving. And here he begins to talk about being a servant and being a slave. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking about the local church. Now, I do think that sometimes we just, we know what the Bible says. We don't really believe it. We don't really embrace it. We don't recognize the significance of it. And I'm just going to warn you, I may leave my outline. I'll try to fill in my blanks at least so that my wife is content and I will be happy when I get home. All right. But can I ask you a question? How are you spending your time? This is a burden. This is a real, a real legitimate thing. And I've got to tell you, I've been at pastor's conferences over the last few weeks. This is the season for pastor's conference. If your pastor's missing, he's in a meeting somewhere, okay? All right. 
But I've been at pastors' conferences, and I've been talking to some local pastors, and we've met together to pray and just to encourage one another and, and see what's going on in their life. And, and here's a concern that I have for pastors, and I'll share it with you because it's a concern that I have for church members. We view church as, for a pastor, just a job. Or for a, a member, somebody who's not on staff, we view it as just something that we do on Sunday or something that we'll do on Tuesday night or something that we'll do for a couple hours on, 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 on Saturday. And we have somehow forgotten the concept that Jesus said, I will build my church. Remember when we were in Acts chapter 1? Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, this is the beginning of all the things that, this is the record of the beginning of all the things that Jesus began to do, and then in Acts is the record of what God continues to do. God, in the Old Testament, through prophets, through leaders, through epiphanies, through showing up on the scene, God, in the Gospels, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, now God, in the church age, beginning in Acts chapter 2, God, through you and me, has a work, a task to do that is redemptive, that is significant, that matters for eternity. It's a difference between heaven and hell. It's a difference between life and death. It's a difference between leading a life of frustration or leading a life that, it, that, is, that is spiritually dead. We can talk about that at length. We have it other times. And the difference between knowing God and being washed and being cleansed and being never alone and having all that God intends for us to have. And the task is in our hands if we are indeed the body of Christ. He is continuing his task through his body. And so a church is not a place to go. We know that, right? This church knows that. Uh, the church is who we are. It's who we are as we gather. And it's who we are as we scatter. But we never lose that connection and frankly, folks, we're the church every day. We're the church as we go through life. We are representing Christ. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We are here to serve Him. And serve has somehow gotten to be a dirty word in our culture, in our society. Suzanne and I were eating out, I don't forget, this was several months ago, and the server came up and I just said, thank you for serving us, for being such a good servant. And she was offended that I called her a servant. I was trying to be nice. But has anybody called you a servant lately? Would that be welcome? Just, we can interact a little bit. Would that be welcome? Do you want to be identified as a servant? How, how about slave? Would you like to be called a slave? No. It's a harsher word. Here's an interesting thing. There's a word that's translated 117 times as serve or servant in the New Testament, and yet it means it's the word doulos, which means bondservant or slave, someone who has been sold, someone who has given his life to another, someone whose life is under the complete and total authority of another. You know what happened when you came to Christ? He's the Lord. And what does that mean? He's the Lord. It means he's the boss. He gets to tell us what to do. As a matter of fact, when we come to him, we come to him in repentance and faith. He is called King Jesus. Is there anybody over this king? There's nobody over this king. He is the ultimate authority. He's the ruler. 
In John chapter 15, there's a little verse there, I think it's down around verse 14, where Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he leaves. And he talks about them being servants. But then he says, you're no longer servants or slaves, but you're my friend. And you would put a, there's a, there's a phrase there. He says, you're my friends. Who are my friends? You're my friends if you keep my commandments. Does that sound weird to you? You can be my friend if you do what I say. Is that true friendship? It is when it's Jesus talking. Because he's God, first of all. Number two, he saved us in order that we might know him, love him, obey him when we come to him in repentance and faith to be right with God. He knows what's best for us. We are only fulfilled and complete. Life is only as it should be when we come to him in repentance and faith. And we bow to him. We yield to him. He's the boss. And he says, because you love me. The picture there is, is it's like a servant who's doing what he has to do just because he has to do it. And then he gets to know the master. And he falls in love with the master. And he appreciates the master. And he sees the value of the master. And then he is serving not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because he wants to please this one. And Jesus says, you are my friends. A servant doesn't know what the master does. It's a distinct relationship. Or why the master does what he does. You go do this. You go do that. It's just tasked to fulfill. But Jesus says, I've made known to you all that the Father has made known to me. I have elevated you. But the elevation to friend and the elevation to brother, the elevation to co-heir, doesn't mean that we get to stop serving. As a matter of fact, it increases the accountability and increases the responsibility of service. And so it's important that we grasp that the church is significant. The church is important to the cause of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And He lives in us to live through us for His glory in the world. And the way that we make all that work, the way that He makes all that work, is He puts all these disparate, different pieces together and He makes one body. And that one body can work in unity and harmony when we're all following our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 1 Corinthians uh, Corinthians chapter 12, if you go back up just a few verses, I'll um, look back up at verse 4 real quick. Paul is writing them, he says, there are varieties of gifts. There are a lot of different gifts, but there's one Spirit. There are varieties of service, ways that we can serve God, but there's only one Lord, the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, things to do, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then he says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each of us is given a gift for the good of everybody. Each of us is given a gift by the Holy Spirit for the common good. Here's what I want you to understand. God has designed you. He has developed you. He has given you experiences. And He's put His Holy Spirit within you so that you have a giftedness, a capability, a capacity. It may be a skill. It may be a way that you think. You have some expression of Christ in your life that He has designed for a, health, for a church to be a healthy body. Now, how many of you guys have healthy bodies? This is where it gets pretty interesting. Pretty much everybody under 20 says, me. Pretty much everybody over 60 says, not me. Okay. Art, glad you're here, brother. Good to see you. Uh, can I talk about you a little bit? Okay. I didn't, didn't warn him that this was coming. Uh, but um, 
Art sitting down. Did y'all notice that when you came in? By the way, how are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Feeling well? Art was in a wreck. And when the car hit him, it hit his left side. He hit, the accident injured his left side. Crushed bones in the left arm. Crushed bones in his left leg. I saw an x-ray picture that he showed me today. A hundred screws and pins in metal in his side. All right. Is Art able to function? I'll ask. How's it going? Good? Able to get around okay? But not like before the accident. And not like it's going to be when you're completely healed and get through this therapy and get some recovery. Here's the deal. Many of us have struggles physically. And we know what it's like to have an ailing body. Christ has designed His church so that it can be a fully, completely healthy body where every member, every part, every finger, every ear, every knee, every toe is healthy and cooperates together under the headship. That's what Paul is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. And basically, he's saying, not basically, very clearly saying every part of the body has a task, has a gift, has an ability, has a duty that God wants to be used in relationship to other parts of the body. When we get saved, He makes us new. He is our boss. His purpose is now ours. His goals are now ours. His values are now ours because we're not our own. We've been bought with with a price. We are the body of Christ. And so we come together in complementary roles to accomplish His purpose in the world. Back down to verse 14. He gives us this picture of a physical body. Verse 14 and following. The body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, would that make it any less a part of the body? Isn't that ridiculous? If your foot got mad because it wanted to be a hand, it's still still a foot in the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. I wish I was an eye. I'm just an ear. I don't talk much about ears. But if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now I want to go back to that verse 18 really quick. Who arranged the members in the body, each as He chose? Who did that? According to this text, who does that? God. I think it's number three on your outline. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and put all three points up there. All right? That way we'll all be happier. God, King James Version, we read just a while ago, but now hath God set the members, each one of them, in the body as it pleased him. ESV. God has arranged every member, every part of the body as he desired. Here's what you need to understand. You have been divinely assigned. You have been divinely appointed. Now there are two parts to this and don't miss it because it's important. First of all, you've been divinely appointed to a specific local body. God wants you to have a church home. He places you in a church that's your church. Not a place where you just kind of dip your toe in and you just kind of come and enjoy the music or you just kind of come and you enjoy the sermon and then you go home and there's no connection. God 
if you're a believer and you've given your life to Christ, God has designed for you to live in the context of relationships, and He plugs you into a local church. And it may be a small local church, it may be a massively big local church, it may be something in the middle, but He places you in the body. But then in that body, He places you in the roles, in the responsibilities, in the duties, in the functions, in the tasks, in the areas of service that that body needs in order to be a healthy and effective body. And you need to understand that as we begin to say, all right, what does our congregation need to be healthy in order to glorify God? What do we need to be a compelling congregation? We are moving to the western of Greenville. In just a, a, a couple of months, just a few short weeks, we will be live, our congregation will have a building. How about that? In the western of Greenville. We'll be gathering together for together there for worship we'll be gathering together for bible study we'll be gathering there as a a starting place to reach out and to go out into the neighborhood and out into the community and we believe that god placed us in that community 133 years ago and is putting us back in that community because there is a need for people to see the goodness of god and to experience the grace of god and so we want to be ready as we bring people into the body assembling as we bring people into worship services, what do we need? Last Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we had about 45 people in the room next door, and we walked through the process of, I'm a newcomer coming to church. I need to know where to park. I need to know where to go when I get there. I need to be greedy with a smiling face. I need a cup of coffee. I'm waiting on an amen for that one. I, I need a cup of coffee. I, I, I need a donut. I need to, for it not to be too hot and for it not to be too cold. We're talking about lost people. We're talking about people who are living in Greenville, residents on the West End, or maybe just disconnected people who have been apart from the body. Somebody needs to fill those roles. And some people, I guess one of the conversations that I've had over the last couple of months is, why? Why do we have to do this? We made a list in the leadership team, and I forget how many was on it, 22, 23 different tasks that need to be done. A list of tasks. And, you know, we sat there and we thought, Lord, have mercy. You know what happened? If we get somebody doing all those tasks, won't anybody be in the sanctuary doing the service? Everybody be out doing something else. Everybody is going to have to serve. Who's going to be in the sanctuary? Whoever God brings. Everybody. Who's going to be? Seriously. Won't you understand? Won't you understand? That yes, we come together as a congregation and worship. And yes, we come together to listen to the proclamation of God's word. And yes, we come to worship through giving. And yes, we come to join our hearts in song. And yes, you can serve during the Sunday school hour and be in the sanctuary. And yes, you can serve in the parking lot and be in the sanctuary. And yes, you can serve as an, as an usher and remain in the sanctuary. And yes, you can make sure there is a severe, uh, severe, a safe environment for kids and for families and there are multiple roles and you have been given some tasks and abilities and you've been shaped by God to be able to fill those roles and responsibilities but we've got to get out of the mindset that I need other people there to serve me we need our whole congregation engaged in serving God by serving one another and by serving the community that God's called us to reach amen Here's the neat thing. Everything we have, we already ha- everything we need, we already have because God's already divinely appointed it. He's put you here and put you in a place and given you a task. And we can be a healthy body with a dozen. We can be a healthy body with 1,200. As long as we're all acknowledging, hey, 
It's an important task. As a matter of fact, if you keep going, I didn't finish reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I do want to continue reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, There are many parts, yet one body. Go to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? What's the word? What does that mean? What does that mean? King James Version, necessary, needful. Pardon? Parts you don't necessarily see. There are out front parts, there are behind parts. There are parts of my body nobody ought to see, brother. There, I mean, you know, you guys, you guys, do y'all take your shoes off when you go home? We'll do a little quiz here. How many of you take your shoes off when you get to the door before you go inside? And how many of you think you never take your shoes off until, until it's time to go to bed or stuff? Okay? It's just different ways. I, we, we visited a, a, a member's house not too long ago, and there's a pile of shoes by the door, and I'm thinking, should I put my shoes there? And then I'm thinking, nobody wants that. That would not be beneficial to anybody. Under any circumstances, better to clean my shoes and walk in with my shoes on. And and, and again, I think it's a great thing that you do that as you wish, all right? Um, There are parts, just like in your body, there are big parts and small parts. And just like in your body, there are parts that are out front and parts that are inside and concealed. And just like in your body, there are distinct functions and roles and responsibilities. Let me tell you, that's the way it works in the life of the church. And part of what Paul's saying here is everybody wants to be the mouth. Or everybody wants to be the eye. Or everybody wants to be the ear. Or everybody wants to be the hand. And what we've got to do, folks, is we've got to say, all right, Father, here I am, and I will be a hand. I'll be a foot. I'll be an elbow. I'll be a knee. I'll be a mouth. I'll be an ear. I'll be an eye. And we say, you have gifted me divinely with everything that I need to serve you where you need me to serve in this body. You've given me spiritual life, your Holy Spirit that lives within me. You've given me passion. You know, there's some things that you're passionate about that other people aren't passionate about. There are things that you love that other people don't love. He's given you a heart. He's given you abilities and capabilities. Some of you are math people, and some of you are administrators, and some of you are, are, are everything by the seat of the pants. He's given you some, some different abilities to adapt and to innovate. He's given you creativity. He's given you specific skill sets. He's given you abilities. He's given you the spirit. He's given you a heart and passion. He's given you abilities. He's given you a personality. Contrary to what some people might think. He's given you a distinct personality. Some of you people are outgoing. I see Scott out in the parking lot at church. He calls people by name as they come into the parking lot. Greets them by name. Sees them all the time. We, we, we walk down or run down or whatever, Main Street, and he's greeting people right and left who live in the apartments coming down the street. He's, he's got a personality that engages people. Some of us don't. Better suited to other tasks. He gives us a personality that is unique to us. You know what he's done? Also, he's given you experiences. He's given you experiences that he's walked you through, and it's revealed more of him to you, and it's revealed more of you to yourself, and he has shaped you, divinely designed you. He has placed you in this body. You have a divine appointment, a divine anointing to serve, 
And here's what that last verse we just read says, and you're indispensable. You're necessary. What does the psalmist say? It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. It is better to be, better to serve. Find a place to serve whatever role in the kingdom of God for the purpose of God to the glory of God. And so here's, this is, I guess, the point that, that, that I want to share. And you'll be hearing more about this because we've identified about 20, about 20 different roles, tasks that need to be done. Tasks that some people are already doing, tasks that you need to be engaged in if you aren't engaged. And here's what I want you to understand. This isn't just a checklist thing or a list of committees where we just put names in so that we can say we've got all the committees filled up or all the teams filled up or everything done. We do this for one purpose. We do this for the glory of God. We do this because God had called us to glorify Him by making mature disciples of all nations starting in the west end of Greenville. We do this because the Holy Spirit of God has given to each of us a gift for the common good, the good of the body of Christ as it glorifies Christ and reaches people with the gospel of Christ. It just takes us to be willing to say, I am, I will, here I am, use me, send me. One thing real quick, and I'm going to end this sermon. Prayerfully, the Holy Spirit won't end the message. But we did all that stuff, and that was about receiving people. That was about connecting the congregation to the community. You know what we're going to study next week? Connecting the, I mean, that was about connecting the congregation, the community to the congregation. You know what we're going to look at next month? Connecting the congregation to the community. And you know what I think in my own head and what I've had people tell me when I talk about all this Great stuff, I believe God's going to do. They're like, when are we going to find the time? When are we going to find the time? I mean, it's not like it don't work. It's not like I'm not in school. It's not like I don't already have this thing that I'm doing. And if you're a parent of kids, it's not like it's not soccer season or football season. It's not like, you know, it's not like I don't, I, I am so busy now i don't see how i can possibly add anything else to my calendar do i have a witness do you know what god's answer to that is take some stuff off your calendar and and it's not my desire to make you mad but i don't mind i know in my own life and in the lives of a lot of people i counsel with we do a lot of good stuff and we do a lot of fun stuff and we work hard and we work hard for a variety of different reasons or we keep our schedules busy because it makes us feel like we're making progress. We keep our schedules busy because it's a, it, it is somehow affirming to us. Sometimes we keep our schedules busy because we don't have any choice. I mean, it's just where we live. I'm, I'm working here and I'm working there and I've got kids to take care of and I've got other stuff and there's just a lot of stuff going on. And trust me, God knows that. He's not surprised by that. He he knows that. What we have to do is to say, all right, God, what in my life glorifies you? What in my life is part of my life as part of the body of Christ? Where have you shaped me? How do I plug in? And what can I let go? What can I say even though that's good, it's not best? 
even though that's all right, and even though that may be a fun thing to do, it's not advancing the kingdom of God, and it's not advancing the glory of God. And I will tell you the truth, sometimes we have to give up good things that we enjoy to do the great things for the glory of God while we're storing up treasures in heaven. At some point, you guys need to go read the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. There's a day we're going to stand before God, and I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, don't you? Do you know where that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, is found in Scripture? It's found in the parable of the talents. Where a rich man gave a man five talents and said, I'm going to another land. You, while I'm gone, invest these and I'll collect when I return. He gave another man three, he gave another man one. When he came back, the man who had five said, I invested, I worked hard, here's five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the three, or the two. You gave me two, invested it, made two, here's four. Well done, good and faithful servant. But there was one man he gave one to. And he knowing that his master was strict, and knowing that he would be very harsh in his accounting, took it and hid it so he wouldn't lose it, and just buried it in a field. And when the master came back, he dusted it off and gave it back and said, I knew that you were tough, and so I've kept it for you. And what is he called by his master in that parable? You wicked servant. You wicked servant. You didn't even put it in the bank so he could earn interest. You didn't steward what I gave you. God has divinely divinely designed each of us to serve one another, to serve Him by serving one another for His glory. And that is the stewardship that He has given to us. And so let's walk in obedience. And I've got to tell you, there won't be anything lacking. There won't be anything missing as long as you and I are walking in obedience to our great God. Amen? Amen. Isn't God good? He is good indeed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we are your body. Help us to, to stop thinking of church as just another activity on the calendar. Help us to stop thinking of church as a place. And help us stop thinking of church as just, a, just some sort of duty maybe that we have to fulfill. Help us to realize that we are the church. That your mission you are doing in us and through us. That you give us the privilege. We get to make an eternal difference in the lives of people in our community and in our family. Our lives matter to the kingdom of God. And I pray, Father, that you will give us, make us wise stewards. Make a, give us wisdom in how we select and elect to obediently use all the diversity in this room for your glory as we serve you by serving one another. In your name I pray. Amen.